The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Welcome back, everybody, to the Sell Better Daily Sales Show, where we bring you daily sales advice to help you sell better. I'm your host, Adrian Saya, and today we are here to talk about how experts prospect into their key accounts. Now, as always, I love to see where are you guys tuning in from. Throw it in the chat. I love to see these. And also, be sure your chat is set to everyone. So click that blue button that you see there and just switch it to everyone. That way we all see what you are posting. So I'm already seeing some of these coming in. Love to have them. Paul from New York. Welcome, Paul. Thank you for attending. Salman, you're in Toronto, man. It's cold. (laughs) We got Todd from Colombia. Andres from Ecuador. Welcome. Love to have other people from other nations here. Thank you so much for attending. And Timothy from Dallas. Thank you for attending. Now, who are today's speakers? Who do we got? So we have Jack Gallo, VP of Sales at Prolific. And we have Salman Muhiuddin. He is the enterprise account executive over at Asana. Now, Salman, do you find that account mapping is a good strategy when it comes to prospecting? It's not a good strategy, Adrian. It's a great strategy. It's it's vital. It's vital. (laughs) Well, you heard the man. We are going to get into that and so much more very shortly. We're also going to give Jack a chance here to give his thoughts on account mapping and why it's so important. So let's uh, let you guys know what exactly are we going to be covering today. But before we do, I want to know who's in the room. Do we have SDRs? Do we have AEs, frontline managers, senior leadership? Let me know because it helps tailor the conversation. If I'm seeing a lot of senior leadership, I'm asking senior leadership type questions. SDRs, SDR questions. So press that button. Let me know. That way we can gauge this conversation the right way. So what are we speaking on today? We're going to show you guys how to follow, how to find out who's influencing who in this organization. That way you're not blindly following organizational charts. You really need to get down to the nitty gritty. How to visualize your target account and understand it like an insider. That way you have all the answers before you reach out, kind of all the answers. You just need your prospect to fill in some of those gaps. And lastly, the top tactics to find and win over the allies and make sure that you don't get any blockers when you're doing this whole prospecting process. Now, before we get started, if you are interested in leveling up in 2023, you are in the right place, my people. Sell Better by JB Sales is here to help you with our daily sales show, our memberships with instant access to hundreds of trainings and resources for you and your teams. We also offer corporate sales trainings for all one everyone in your organization. So be sure to tune in here. All you got to do is visit sellbetter.xyz or scan the QR code that's right there. Go ahead and give that a scan and you'll see what I'm talking about. And of course, we wouldn't be able to do this without our partners. So big shout out to Zoom Info. They are our partner for today's show. And we have a drop of the day, which is going to be the key sales metrics you need to track in order to hit quota. It's another show on January 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern time. I'm going to drop the link in the chat. Be sure to tune in on that. It's going to be really interesting and we're going to get into some really good points. So I'm already seeing here that we have a lot of AEs and SDRs in the room. Jack, does that surprise you? No, no, it's exactly. I mean, this is going to be most targeted to them, I think, with with what we're going to be covering. How do you penetrate into enterprise accounts and what's the role that stakeholder mapping can can do in uh, helping you do so? 
Fantastic. And Salman, do you, what would you say to the senior leaders who are actually joining? Because we got 10% in this room, our senior leaders. Hey, senior leaders, it's all about enabling and coaching your AEs and SDRs to, to be the best version of themselves and really drive engagement with your uh, customers in your territory. So really excited to engage, engage with you here. Fantastic. So let's get into it. So you want to find out who influences who, but you got to know how to go about it correctly. Jack, you had a really good point about following historical data sets. What did you mean by that? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it starts with starting to keep track of, if you're not keeping track of this today, what are the typical buyers that are involved in your evaluations? I think a lot of times this is stuff that sellers might keep in their heads. They might keep in, you know, uh, Evernotes, whatever it is, Google Docs, but it's not being tracked as heavily against the Salesforce record. A um, few ways you can do it. Like we internally use both our org charting solution along with an object that we have for account roles to keep track of the common uh, you know, buyer types that we work with. But what that's ultimately going to do is it's going to allow you to check yourself of, okay, I'm really seeing a lot of people in revenue operations come up. And as you look at future engagements, if you're not engaged with revenue operations, sales enablement, whatever those core buyer types and personas are, ultimately you can start to check yourself on, am I involved with the right people do I need to get more multi-threaded? But if you're not keeping track of that in a, in a way that's reportable, um, then ultimately you could find yourself uh, at risk in, in future pursuits where you're not taking advantage of getting in front of people earlier than you should have or at all. Mm. So what I'm hearing here is that our audience really needs to keep more records of who they're talking to more often. Maybe there is a pattern there that they can take advantage of if they're not already. Yeah. Yeah. And I brought up revenue operations. I bring that up because who we sell to, um, that's a title that's only become more and more and more and more common in the sales enablement, sales operations space. Right. And when I was looking at analytics from last year and the previous, one of the things that kept jumping up, head of revenue operations, director of revenue operations. And previously, it was a lot of sales operations, sales enablement. Um, and so for me and my team, what we ultimately did was we pivoted our template of stakeholders that we proactively engage with or recommend we get in front of to always include revenue operations. Um, and in doing so, what you're doing, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, I know, but you go to the people you're engaged with, you say, hey, usually we see these people involved. That's showing that you know what you're doing, you know who you need to speak with, rather than just hoping that they come to you later on or open the door to them later on. It's a great point. Now, Salman, I know that you like to use an account plan so it's a little bit different than just mapping out um, whole organizations. But what, what did you mean by an account plan? Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, totally. So I think when you tier your accounts, let's say you're given 50 accounts, it's it's difficult to plan for every single account, right? We're not going to sit here and say, you got to build an account plan for 50 accounts. And I want to understand everything about them and who just that's not realistic. But take your tier one accounts. Let's say they're 10 to 15% of those accounts. So let's say five. These are your tier one accounts. You want to make sure you know them inside and out. How do you uh, plan your account strategy? Well, number one, I think you have to set goals for yourself. What are your goals as an AE or an SDR to do with this account? Is it to grow it to a certain ARR? Is it say there's a renewal coming up, you want to uplift it by 100K? Is there specific champions you want to develop over the next few months? What do you want to do? Set those goals for yourself. And secondly, you really want to map out the goals for the organization. 
do some deep research when it comes to these accounts. And we all hear, you know, things about, oh, review their 10K reports, their annual reports, investor relation calls and things like that. That's all fine and dandy, but go above and beyond, you know, especially if you're covering private companies versus public companies. For example, you know, go to their uh, LinkedIn page or follow their key executives on LinkedIn. What, what are they posting? If they're not posting, what are they engaging with? Mm. Another quick tip, which really a lot of folks don't do as often is go to their careers page, go to their careers page, and you'll be amazed at some of the insights you might find. They will list out some of the requirements for jobs that they're hiring for, maybe some of the tools that they're using. I, I was working with a bank and I am working with the bank and I looked at their careers page and I found specific uh, you know, verbatim projects that they're working on that I referenced in my outreach. There are so many things you can do to really do deep research and come with a point of view with your accounts. That is fantastic. And I know you actually have an example here of how you can actually break this down per tier. Can you tell me more about this? Yeah, let me walk through it very quickly. So let's say you got, a, let's say 50 accounts. Here's your territory, Salman. What are you going to do this year? It can be very daunting. You know, when I first started sales back in 06, 07, and I got a territory, I was like, what the heck do I do? <laughs> right? I mean, I'm sitting here, I got a quota. I don't know what to do, but now I know what to do. Here's what you do. Tier your accounts into three. Tier one, you know, people talk about, hey, you know, eighty percent of your revenue is going to come for twenty percent of your accounts. It's actually pretty accurate. You'll be you'll find throughout your career. So find fifteen to twenty percent of your book should be tier ones. So you know, maybe eight to ten accounts, give or take, and really do that deep research, like I mentioned, on those accounts. And you want to make sure that they fit your ICP. Is the data quality accurate? You know, use tools like LinkedIn Sales Navigator if there's specific personas that fulfill the use cases that you deliver on. And look at your company. Like, look at the top customers that your company has. What are the most common industries that you can sell into that are successful using your platform? Look at the employee flies. Are they high growth? You know, one th tip that I do when the public companies that I cover, I go to their uh, 10K and annual report. I just do a control F, digital. How many times did they mention digital? You'll find some banks mentioned a lot. Other banks, they don't say it as much. Find that out. Qualified. Tier two would be, you know, maybe 30, 40% of your book. Again, data quality is important. Find those industries that are not inside your tier one. They might have an existing footprint. They might not. And they might ha not have that li limited public available insight. But focus on those. And then tier two would be rest of their accounts. For example, you know, there's some products out there that may not do so well in the education space or the public sector. You want to might want to put that on tier three. And if you go to the next slide, I might want to touch on a couple more points if you want. Yeah. Let's go through this fairly quickly. So, okay. So what do you do with your tier one accounts? That's great, Salman. What, what do I actually do? What can I put into action? Well, here's what you do. Spend a lot of your time or half of your time in your tier one accounts, because again, you're going to get your majority of revenue. Last year, I got, yeah, about 80% of my revenue by my, a handful of accounts. And it's true, right? Develop a point of view. Find those executive priorities by the resources that I mentioned. Talk about you know, some of the career pages, highlights that you've seen. Ensure your point of view is not just personalized, but it's relevant to them and their role. Engage with their executives. Engage with your SDR, something I do with my SDR that I'm aligned to. We'll put together a Google Doc and really outline what are the messages that we want to put forth. We'll agree on it and make sure it's relevant and to the point. Engage with your internal teams as well. Same with tier twos. 
Uh, one thing I would outline is, for example, find out which of the renewals are coming up in the last six, in the next six months. The last thing you want to be is that AE that reaches out 30 days before the renewal. Hey, how's it going? You don't want to buy anything? Don't be that used sales car salesman. Come up with a point of view. Reach out to them six months before. Engage with them. Understand what their challenges are, how you can be proactive and upsell it. And tier three, again, engage with your SDR, identify key personas and develop that approach. But focus your time, the majority of your time on your tier ones and you'll drive success. Phenomenal. Now, I want to hear from my audience. If you guys think this is very valuable in the terms of how you can approach your tiered accounts, let me see a one in the chat if you guys want to start implementing some of these things that Salman just mentioned, because they are extremely useful. And if you get a moment, screenshot this. This is a great way to really shift your focus into how you should be going about it with the different tiers that you have. Now, Jack, you made a really good point when it comes to creating a framework, right? So Salman mentioned how you can tier things through the account level, but how about for the account themselves? How do you want to map it out? Should you use a framework and what should, does that look like? Yeah, I think, you know, it's very much a piggybacks off of following historical data sets, using CRM to your advantage, right? There's all of this information around, okay, who was involved in close one opportunities? Who was involved in closed lost opportunities? Don't just think about your closed one ones. Think about your closed lost ones just as much, right? Because a lot of times there's stakeholders in there or roles in there that ultimately might have detracted that deal at the last minute. And how do you learn from those moving forward? And so ultimately what we do at Prolific and what we encourage our customers to do is take that historical data set and create that framework of titles there's ideal customer profile. There's an ideal stakeholder profile. In an opportunity over $10,000, I can tell you the average buyer uh, commit, buying committee that we work with for a, a deal is seven plus stakeholders. Within that, we majority of the time have uh, sales operations and sales enablement as two of the, the core um, titles. But if we don't have somebody within actual go-to-market sales, executive sponsorship, our win rates drop significantly. So oh, wow. that's the type of stuff that we can start to say, okay, based on our historical data set, my rep creates a opportunity plan for uh, you know, this new qualified op. Okay, we're engaged with enablement and operations. How do we get engaged with executive leadership? Because that ultimately increases your win rates by X percent, right? That's all data backed, but a framework, a proactive framework based on lessons learned in the past, both good and bad, that we're ultimately serving up to reps. And that's either new hires makes them way, it makes it way easier to onboard employees um, when you're giving them that framework. And it's not just a blanket, hey, any opportunity that you have these are the people, we're taking this down to the products that we pipe for an opportunity. In our relationship mapping tool, comparative to our account planning tool, what are the differences in titles, right? And that's the type of stuff that you need to be very conscious of and put into your CRM, your corporate data set, so that you can make everyone in your organization a beneficiary of those, and you can eliminate risk and ultimately tough pipeline calls months down the road when something pushes because, oh crap, we didn't realize that, uh, you know, IT needed to approve this or whatever, whatever the final hurdle was that you didn't, you didn't necessarily think of. These are great points. And I want to hear from our audience. Uh, do you guys map out your accounts? Because you heard from Jack, it's very important and it can actually help make your entire sales team much more efficient. So is it something you guys do? Would love to hear from you all. So we have this question here for you all. Now, Jack, I see that Andres here in the chat says, what if they don't have a historical data set? 
uh, maybe as like a new startup I'm going into, what do you do? You start making one. I mean, like when I started with <laughs> Prolific, I, you know, we had zero customers. We had just trying to figure out, hey, we have a product. We know we solve for a pain point, which is account planning sucks in PowerPoint, Microsoft Word, all of these traditional places. And it was, who do we go to market to first? And we started with sales executives. Ultimately, we got pushed to sales operations and enablement. But we always stuck with our with our sales executives. And so over the course of time, if you start at the beginning, keeping track of that, you're only gonna, you know, make make yourself or, or benefit yourself in the future. So um, if you're at a startup, just start keeping track of it now, whether it's in your CRM, whether it's in Excel, I promise you, your future self will thank you. Fantastic. Now, Salman, I know you had a really good point about accounts. They have these traits that you really are looking to understand. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, totally. And just to add to Jack's point around Andrea's question about if they don't have a data set, 100% start building it now. Like just getting to that point about the traits is that you want to understand some of the common problems that folks typically face in the role. So if you're speaking to a CMO, if you're speaking to a director of IT, what are the most common problems that folks in their face, in their role face? And how do you typically solve for that and share that with them? Because if you don't have the data sets available, you can still prospect in a way that will resonate with them. And something that I do with my uh, prospects, I'll tell them, hey, listen, I could tell you all about our fancy features and capabilities, but I would be doing a disservice to you if it didn't resonate with you. So instead, let me tell you about some of the typical problems that folks in your old face and if it resonates with you and we can dive in further, if not, hey, we can shake hands and walk away. And I'll share the common problems. Hey, these are the two, three problems that folks in your world that we, like I was speaking to a VP last week, they told me X, Y, and Z. Does that resonate with you? Right. Mm-hmm. And that really helps. Like you may not have the data at your fingertips, but you should understand the problems that you solve for. And that's the traits that you should look for as well. Understand who your ICP is. We talk about the term ICP, ideal customer profile, but really understand. And what I find is that um, some AEs that I sit down with, they talk too much about their capabilities and features, whether it be a problem, whether it be a prospecting email that they share. They say, hey, we are a marketing automation platform that does X, Y, and Z. We are a CDP that allows your customers to see all their data in one place or see your customer data in one place. That is a capability. That is not a problem. A problem is what they're facing today. Like, hey, your customer data is spread across multiple systems, and it's very difficult for your team to put that together. And it takes some time. You can't share personalized experiences. So when it comes to messaging, those are some of the traits that you should look for. Who is your buyer? What are the problems that they're facing? And what is the impact of the business? I would just add, I think it's such an important piece to the two examples you just shared, Salman, was... The first one, we are a marketing automation tool that solves for X, Y, Z. And the second, which is typically people in this space struggle with these problems. The first of those is all about I, I, I. The second is about them, right? Mm-hmm. I think so much of prospecting is, well, anytime I get an email, it starts with, this is what we do, or this is this is how I can help, like how I our product works. It's like, listen, I, I didn't even tell you, I, I didn't ask for this. If I wanted to look up what your company did, I would have gone to your website. Like come to me with something that makes me think and that I'm struggling with. And I'll react with, Hey, I'll take a meeting of it. It's something I'm struggling with, but it should always start with a customer first from speaking with people in this industry. A lot of them struggle with this. That's making the problem about them showing that you're interested in helping them comparative to just helping yourself. 
So I don't know. It's just like that small change in language, right? That that ultimately can really impact how people perceive and receive the information that you're trying to share with them. Completely. It really makes it about the prospect, which is ultimately what we're here. We're here to help our prospects. So it should be about them and not you, which sometimes happens. You know, the ego can get in the way a little bit, but what can you do? You got, you just got to fine tune it so that it could be more about your prospects. So I'm seeing here that over 45% of people here do map out their accounts. We have 32% saying sometimes, 9% saying never. And then 13% saying, how do I even map out my accounts, right? So this is a very, very interesting answer actually uh, to this question, which brings us perfectly into our next point. How can you map out an account? Jack, I know you had a really great point on this, that you want to be able to visualize what it is that you're mapping out. Uh, Do you mind sharing more with me? Yeah. Um, I mean, so I think it's it's important to be able to use an org chart or any of these, the idea of a stakeholder map as a means to tell what your initiative is, what are you trying to accomplish, right? And get your internal resources on the same page. Here's who we're aligned with. Here's how they feel about us. And here's our path towards a partnership. Now, where you do that is really dependent on a few things. We do it in Salesforce through uh, application we created created, and we offer on the, the app exchange for relationship mapping org charts in Salesforce. Know a ton of people in the space. If you don't use Salesforce or don't have a tool like this, you can do it in PowerPoint. You can do it in Excel. It's not as ideal, but if your um, opportunity is worthwhile, it really kind of comes down to figuring out what's your equation. Your equation being like once this deal is worth X amount. It's going to be worth us actually putting forth a formal plan, a formal relationship map. And that's going to vary company by company, right? For some companies, it's a hundred thousand. For some, it could be five. Just have to kind of figure out what your equation is based on a lot of the things that, that Salon had, had referred to in terms of tiering your accounts and, and understanding your portfolio or book of business. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's some core facets that you're going to want to keep track of outside of like what people think of when they think about org charts, which is just like, Going into, you know, name your HR system, going in and seeing that giant, like 100, 200,000 person relationship map of every single person and who their manager is. Okay, that's great. But I think the first thing to remind everybody of is a, a stakeholder map and how we're talking about it is not a workday HR related org chart. This is a key stakeholder map. Who are mm-hmm. the key personas? that are going to get you to a yes or a no as quick as possible. So that's the first thing. Not everybody in the organization, just the people that are going to help you get to that yes, no, or you need to get in front of. Um, The second one is, okay, let's start looking at what's their level of influence at this organization. Are they high influencers? Are they low influencers? That's different than where they sit in that org chart, right? Somebody who's a director could have more sway than somebody who's a VP in another department. Just starting to figure out through your conversations, both in meetings, in prospecting, how do things move? How do they tick within this organization? And if you're not keeping track of that throughout in a, in a clear, concise way, you're only just going to make it that much harder to get internal team members up to speed, um, but also keep yourself on track. So that's that second piece. But the third piece being, okay, who's on our side? Who isn't? So we call that support. Is this person a supporter or a champion? Are they more of a detractor? Are they agnostic or neutral right now. Um, And then the last ones that we do internally is we start to map out our buying path and ultimately identifying who's a signer, 
who's a budget holder, and who's the uh, ultimate power user for this. So once again, this is all done through our tool, but I've seen this through conversations with our cu customers before Prolific, along with just from peers in the space. You can do it in PowerPoint. You can do it in Excel. You can obviously do it through Prolific if you're interested. Um, but those are the four core facets. Key stakeholders, understand influence, start to identify and create your own taxonomy for support. And then lastly, what are the core facets to who's involved? Holding budget, being able to sign, and what's your path to close? Phenomenal. Guys, make sure to rewatch this portion of the show when you guys get the recording because those four key facets are what's going to help you take your account mapping to the next level. Now, Salman, I know that people don't like being asked, hey, who's the decision maker? So how can you go about getting more information about the organization as a whole so you can get these key stakeholders? Yeah, that's a great point. That's always a challenge. People ask me, how do I find out who else? We all know that there's not just one person who makes the decision. You're going to have a discovery call with a senior manager or director, but there's more people involved. How do you uncover that? It's about doing proper discovery, asking the right questions to the individual, asking something like this. Hey, in addition to yourself, Linda, who else cares about solving this problem across your organization, right? Simple as that. Who else cares about this? Who else is important to them? Once mm -hmm. they've identified who that is, why is it important to them, right? What is the metric that you're measured on specifically and how is that impacted by the challenge that you're facing? So multi-threading, there's a lot of ways to find out. And if you want to reach out to that decision maker or uncover who that is, ask a question like this. Hey, Linda, you know, uh, you know, not just who else cares about solving this problem, but is there an executive on your side in addition to yourself that is responsible or for driving this initiative, right? Just asking, and here's the thing, if they don't tell you, then maybe the deal is a little fluffy and you have to do a little bit more multi-threading throughout the account. But if there is, understand who that is, understand why it's important to them. Because here's the thing, in this market that we're in today, Listen, budgets are tight. I get it. You know, it's difficult. Everything goes back to CFO. But the biggest deals that I've closed in my career, they didn't have budget allocated to it after our first conversation. Hmm. If there is a big enough problem that executives care about solving and you're shedding light on that, you're understanding the impact in, in qualifying that, your customers will find the budget for that. I love that. I love that. And they will end up getting it because it is a big pain point for them. It is something that they truly care about, but you got to show them why they need to care about it in the first place, why it's important. Now, Jack, I know you had a great visual kind of aspect of how you can kind of map out who a key decision holder may be. Uh, do you mind just sharing with, with us very quickly what that might look like so people understand what an account map should even look like? Yeah. Um. I'll just do a quick, this is just going to build off of what I had outlined before, but this is how we manage opportunities and accounts in, at Prolific through Prolific. Um, so our big visual component that we would dive into specific to stakeholder mapping is a visual org chart of Salesforce contacts. So that's what we, we use internally, but all of these things that I'm referring to with regards to, okay, who are supporters, who are champions, what's your path to close? Who are signers or uh, budget holders? That's the type of stuff that we're marking through this. And then it's ultimately speaking back to our CRM so that we can start to report on it later on. But when I get into deal reviews with my team, this is something that I expect for anything qualified and, and forecasted, which is you need to be able to talk to me about 
what your path to close is. So in this particular scenario, hey, we had a conversation with Taylor Williams, who ultimately introduced us to Ricky, who's going to sponsor the initiative, hence this little star, who's ultimately going to bring us over to Mike Wilson, the CFO, who's got that little currency icon or budget holder icon. All of those things are things that help tell the story for the rep of why we're engaged with them, why they're forecasting this deal, comparative to before using something like this. And I've been in plenty of forecasting calls um, you know, where this has happened. It's like, let me tell you why this is going to close. It's got this great opportunity. And it's like a 20 minute elaborate story about who they spoke with and why they're going to buy. But like, I could have gotten that in 30 seconds if you give me this relationship map and a couple of qualifying metrics, right? We're not talking about why we're here, but we're talking about where we're going next. And that's such an important part about deal reviews is it's not this place for sellers or sales management to get together and like pump each other's tires. It's a place where we start to poke holes in things, where we start to say, why wouldn't this close? Doesn't look like you've identified this person on the map. That's the type of conversation that I want to facilitate in a deal review rather than everybody leaving there and just feeling like they're like the greatest salesperson to ever live. Um, and to me, something as basic as building this relationship map can quickly cut through the noise or in a lot of ways, BS, right? That can be created in that storytelling type um, mode without a, a tool like this or a process like this. All right. So that is very valid point. That way, when you visualize it, you can kind of get information quickly. Exactly how you mentioned, instead of doing a whole 30 minute pitch to your team about why this is going to close, just having this information can make your team so much more effective. Now, Saman, what do you like to use uh, if you're going to be a, a mapping out an account? Uh, are there any tools that you used when you just got started? Uh, so I use tools like, uh, you know, in Google Sheets, you can actually create uh, org charts, it's a little bit of work. I'll use, uh, you know, PowerPoint to create some decks. I'll use a lucid chart in some cases as well. But keep in mind, you want to do it for your key accounts. You don't want to spend time doing it. Like, for example, I'll have two or three accounts that I'm focused on for this year that I'm saying, listen, I need to really understand that org chart. I really need to put this together. I'll also use tools like that. I'll use Asana as well to really map out who the individuals are. And what's great about it is that everybody collaborates together. The key is not just building an org chart and doing nothing. Engage your SDR, engage your CSM, engage your SE, engage your executive team and build out a plan. One thing I like to do is I like aligning power to power, right? We talked a little bit about, you know, Jack talked about this as well, uncovering key stakeholders, understand who's neutral, who's negative. If I found, found someone in my org chart that's neutral and they're an executive, I have a rule of thumb. I'll get my leader involved in every deal over 50K and I'll get my executive mm -hmm. deals invo executives involved on deals that are six figure and seven figure. And what's important is that in the end, we're sellers. And sometimes VPs, SVPs, executives prefer to talk to someone at their level and they may say things that they might not share with you. So why not have your one of your executives uh, you know, put a note together to send to that executive saying that, hey, I know our team's working with you. We're working with a couple of, you know, team members. These are the problems that they're facing. This is the impact we're having. Would it be worth a chat? And really aligning power to power is important. It's going to help you increase your deal size as well. And, you know, it allows you to kind of like not play that bad guy because it's your manager that's reading or an executive that's reaching out. And I think uh, Hadi had one question uh, that he sent to the host and panelists uh, instead of saying to everyone, but he talked a little bit about, hey, if we're in a competitive deal, and, you know, one of your key decision makers is looking closely at the com competition. How do you get them back on board? I want to touch on this for 30 seconds, because one thing that you've got to be very careful of is don't badmouth the competition. 
respect the competition. So for example, if you know a decision maker comes to you and says, hey, in the middle of your cycle says, hey, we're looking at XYZ competitor, say, hey, that's great. Um, you know, they're, they're a great platform. Um, if I were in your shoes, Linda, I'd be doing the same thing. I would be doing my due diligence to make the right business decision for my organization. So I applaud you for that. But, you know, I'll, and then share one or two things that are good about the, that competitor. Hey, they're really good at this. But based on my conversations with executives like yourself, here's where we stand out and here's what we do. That's re- and make sure those points are relevant to their priorities that are solving their key business problems. And then ask them, are you 100% confident that, you know, the competitor that you're looking at will fulfill all these needs? Get them to answer it. If they are, then, hey, maybe you're wasting your time. If you're not, then maybe you can get them to come your way. That is a fantastic way to bring up competitors. Never badmouth them. It only looks distasteful. So it's a great way to bring it up, yet get more information where your prospect currently is in that process with your competitor even, or what they think about them. So love that. Thank you for sharing that, Salman. And I want to know from our audience, are you guys prospecting into enterprise, mid-market, SMB? This helps because when it comes to account maps, they can get kind of big, especially in an enterprise space. So I would love to hear from you all, where are you currently prospecting into? Now, Jack, we talked about how you know they can get very large, and honestly, account mapping does have its downsides. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? What are some pitfalls of account mapping? Yeah, I, I would say it gets back to um, what I was alluding to earlier, which is like someone starts building a map and then it becomes this grand work, like HR related org chart. And you've got, you know, the interns on there. And it's not to say the interns aren't important, but I don't think the interns are the ones that are going in and signing checks and making decisions about the business, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's holding yourself to uh, some sort of scale of when does somebody ultimately get brought onto this map? We have users because users are ultimately our customers, right? Like uh, sellers as uh, on our maps all the time because we need to get buy-in from sellers to say, yes this org chart tool will help me manage and navigate enterprise businesses. So there are times where we need to develop champions there, but it's not like we're mapping out every single salesperson at a, at a 5,000 person company, right? You need to be thoughtful about who you're bringing in. And I guess the thing that I would say is anytime you start to add or build your map, that person that you're adding, ask yourself the question, why am I adding them? Am I adding them just because it's going to make it look prettier and larger and like I spent more time building it? Or is it actually like going to help you and help you understand how to navigate the complexities of the account? Um, I think I've seen a lot of pitfalls where people just want to just, you know, make the org chart look really, really pretty. And like they spend a ton of time on it. And then ultimately that's where you start to see it get a little out of control and be not maintained as well. I see. So just get the core elements, the things that you actually need. There's no need to put fluff in an org chart or any kind of account map. You just want straight to the facts and what you actually need to get this deal moving and flowing. So I'm seeing here that a lot of our audience is actually going into enterprise, about 57%, uh, 36% in mid-market and only 7% in SMB. This is actually very surprising to me. Uh, So welcome guys for the enterprise space. This is uh, very useful. Now, Saman, one thing you like to do is list out prospects or personas. Uh, Can you tell me more about that? How do you go about it exactly? Yeah, great question. So I think what's really important is that when we start a new role or when we get a new territory, 
we like to focus more on just by nature on the capabilities and the features that we provide. Mm-hmm. But the right thing to do, especially when you're starting off in a new role, is understand the problems that your personas are facing on a day-to-day basis. Because here's the thing. You are really good at your speaking your language. Your language is the fancy features and capabilities and the and the, that, that solve certain problems. But that's not your prospect's language. Right? Your prospect's language is these are the problems that I'm facing on a day-to-day basis and it's impacting me. And these are the metrics that are hurting. So understand what those problems are and really understand them and use that as part of your outreach and your prospecting, right? So I'll give you an example. Like we were talking about this, Jack was talking about this before. If you're, if you're selling like a, a CDP, you know, customer data platform, hey, we're a CDP platform that allows you to centralize all your customer data in one place so you can personalize all your interactions on digital channels. That's great. That's good that you know the solution that you're selling and the value that it brings. That's that's great. But you're speaking your language. <laughs> that's not the prospect's language. The prospect's like, okay, that's great. How does it help me? Mm. So instead, talk about the fact that, hey, typically we've found teams like yours spend a ton of time cobbling up the customer data from a dozen different places, which results in a poor customer experience and lower conversion rates. Does that res- resonate with you? I'm off, off base. You haven't said anything about the product. You haven't said anything about the capabilities. You are speaking their language. And they're like, yeah, you're right. Like this, this person knows what I'm going through. Speak their language, not yours. Love that. Guys, put a one in the chat if you guys need to start using prospect language more often. And a two if you guys don't do it, but now want to start doing that more often. We'd love to see some of these ones everywhere. <laughs> love to see this. Now, Jack, when it comes to mapping, I know a lot of people get a little confused. They end up doing stakeholder and account mapping. How do you know when you need to do one or the other? Yeah, I think it's, you know, account mapping is starting to look at a enterprise company that might have a number of portfolio companies within it or subsidiaries and starting to say, okay, you know, I have a parent account. Think about, you know, I just think Salesforce parent and child records, right? You've got all of these different buying centers underneath the parent that you could hypothetically sell into. Um, And then stakeholder mapping is starting to say, okay, well, how does that enterprise business make decisions? We work with companies that make decisions at the parent level and those that disseminated down all the way into each of their respective subsidiaries. Uh, mm-hmm. So you're selling and building stakeholder map at that parent. There are other times where we sell and we work with businesses where they've got different buying centers, different stakeholders, POs, everything, right, for each subsidiary. So we're now looking at 10 stakeholders at subsidiary A, 10 at subsidiary B. Those are two separate maps, right, that you need to start keeping track of. Now, is there ways in which those stakeholders could relate to one another? Yes. But think about where is this purchase coming from? How do they evaluate what I'm selling? And ultimately, the people that are involved in that evaluation should be on the map. It could be at the parent level, could be at each child level or somewhere in between. Um, but you know, I'd say that's the big difference than when I hear with account mapping and stakeholder mapping. Accounts are starting to understand how do all of these different um, kind of facets to a very large enterprise organization operate and um, intertwine with one another. And then the stakeholder is taking that a layer further and saying, who are the people that operate that respective enterprise or subsidiary of the enterprise? Fantastic. Now that's a very good division between the account level and then the stakeholder level. And I really like how you emphasize that you do got to keep them separate. 
You know, it's important to have this information, but you really want to have them in separate areas and know that they do talk to each other. But if you have it all in one, it's going to get messy. So make sure that you keep them separate, guys. So we have a little bit of time here for Q&A. Uh, but before we do that, I want to know, where can the people find you? Jack, where can the people find you? Yeah, LinkedIn. Please reach out, connect with me. Um, happy to, to provide some one-off advice as needed. And then if you're interested in getting access to our relationship mapping tool, like I just shared, it's free. You can get uh, licenses through our website, prolific.ai. All right. And Salman, how about yourself? Where can the people find you? Uh, find me on LinkedIn. I'm posting content uh, almost every day, sales advice and actionable content. Uh, I've also started a bit of sales coaching on the side. This is my logo, Salman Sales Academy. Check out my featured uh, profile section for more details. Fantastic. Now, before we get into that, into the Q&A, because I'm seeing we only have two questions here. Uh, so let's actually ask one uh, right away. So an anonymous attendee is asking, do you have a great template for account planning? Jack? Yeah. I mean, I'd say there's, I'll answer. I have a good framework for account planning. I mean, this is what I live and breathe in every day. So I'll say that each business, even if you sell the same exact thing, has different facets to like what good account planning looks like. I think that there's core facets that you can follow or like pillars that I'll give you advice on. Um, and then starting to actually like peel the onion back a little bit further uh, is where we would need to spend a little bit more time chatting. But I'd say Core, core facets, when I talk to an organization about account planning, it starts with understanding your customer. What do they care about? What are they running into? Who do they compete with? Who are their customers? So that you can start to ground yourself and what problems are they running into? It's exactly what Salman had been talking about um, at the beginning of this webinar. The second piece is understanding, okay, what offerings do we have that ultimately align with goals that have been shared, challenges that have been shared? So you can start to correlate what your product or service does with their pain points or goals. And then the, the next step would be the who piece. So we've got, okay, understanding the business, we've understood what we can sell. We've got, who do we sell to, right? With this product and this challenge, who am I going after in this account? Is it IT? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it a combination of the three? And then the last and most important, which is where account planning usually just stays a plan and doesn't get executed against, is the strategy. And that's why we went to market with what we did. We wanted to bring this into Salesforce because I've been a part of way too many QBRs where it's like everyone gets in a room, you present your plan. I'm going to do this. You're going to do that. We all go to happy hour. And then everyone forgets about all these great ideas and strategies <laughs> put together. It sits in a QBR PowerPoint template or something like that. But revisit your plan in your deal reviews, in your weekly one-on-ones with your manager. Develop clear, tangible action items in those sessions your objectives, what are the four to five to six things that you know you need to execute against? For us, we start to look at those as justifying a business case. Do we need to go through IT review? Have we discussed pricing? Then there's all sorts of sub-actions that are tied to those, right? But the more tangible uh, and clear and actionable you can make that how piece, which is once again, the most important part of a plan, the more you're going to get out of the account planning process as a whole. All right. That actually really emphasized the importance of doing account planning properly. So get on it, guys. This is a big topic of today. And thank you for, for breaking that down for us, Jack. And Salman, we have one more here from Majaz. Uh, he's asking, uh, I'm selling to all e-commerce companies with all marketing people, director and above, um, and e-commerce people. My main channel is email marketing. Any suggestions on how to get better with these personas? Yeah, sure. So I want to share two email templates. I just say it verbally, because here's the thing. 
if you're selling a marketing, for example, or any persona, you're going to be working with prospects that don't know much about your business. Mm. And then you're going to have existing customers that might have a footprint. Let's talk about the latter first. If you have a uh, current customer, let's say, for example, that has a small footprint within some marketing team, what sort of message can you put forward? I would say something like this, short and sweet. You want a multi-thread? Because here's the thing. I'm not a big fan of asking for referrals. If you have a champion saying, hey, do you know anybody else in the organization that could benefit from this? Because here's the thing. You're relying on them to get the job done. Don't rely on them. Go out and do it yourself. Two things. You could either recommend some names uh, from your homework saying, hey, I noticed Bob in digital marketing could use something like this. What are your thoughts? You could do that, but I'm a bigger fan of the second point where you go directly to you know Bob in digital marketing. And you say something like this, uh, hey, Bob, uh, we're actually working with uh, Linda in marketing. They've been using our platform, which is approved, by the way, uh, to solve for X, Y, and Z problem. They've seen a you know 5% increase in conversion and over the past six months. And if these problems resonate with you, I'm confident we could replicate this with your team. You do that across some use cases and personas that fit your bill, you will get more meetings. And then the first point around sharing an example of a cold email uh, that where businesses don't know who you are, you know, share something relevant. So this is an example. Um, you know, hey, Linda, you know, Sire CMO's post about driving growth on digital channels in 2023. You just found that from an article or whatever. So the first line is relevant. The next one is just talking about something that is a problem. Typically, we've found teams spend way too much time cobbling up customer data from dozens of different places, and it leads to poor digital experiences for your customers and lower conversion rates. So that's a problem statement. And then you bring up a value statement and maybe name drop. Hey, AT&T and T-Mobile are actually using our platform to quickly connect all that data on one place so that every customer interaction is relevant and personalized across all your digital channels. They boosted a conversion by 5%. Is it worth a chat? So relevancy, problem statement, value add with some social proof and a soft CTA. Do that for your cold customers. Do that for your existing customers. You're going to drive more meetings. Love that. Well, you heard the man. Make sure to map things out. Make sure to actually create this flow within your cold email. And this actually brings us to the end of our time. So thank you so much for joining us here, Jack and Salman. It's been a pleasure having this conversation with you all. And thank you very much to our audience for tuning in. And we will definitely catch you on the next one. See you later. Thanks, Salman. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.